So the cold weather has decimated us. It went from 88 to 48 over the course of about four hours on Thursday. And everybody in the band, including myself, we all got sick on Friday. So we are struggling, as a friend of mine used to say. We are struggling. So um, today may be a little short. That's okay. Um, it depends on how long this day quill lasts. That's how long the message will be. I, I complained to you recently about the fact that I'm getting old. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard that, but I ended up having to go to the eye doctor. And the eye doctor said, you know what? You've got a case of oldness. So therefore, we must give you reading glasses. And I told you that I would be unveiling the new old Kenny Nicks very soon. So I might as well go ahead and get that out of the way so everybody can see what the new old Kenny Nicks looks like. So here I am. This is. Thank you for that word of encouragement. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> it was remarkable, actually, when I put, this on, put these on for the first time, I was like, wow, I can actually read the Bible. So who knows? It may keep me from stammering over my words. Uh, then again, it may not. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, but it is remarkable how much better I can see these words. I can't see you very well, but I can see these words very well. So we'll see how that goes. I'll probably be taking them on and off because I like to be able to connect with you and connect and see in your eyes and see what's going on in your hearts when, when God is speaking to you. So <clears throat> I, I was thinking as we continue in this series, Behold New, um, I have been dealing a lot lately with people that struggle with believing themselves to be new. Um, I have talked about this before, and I feel like God's impressed upon my heart that I need to talk about it again today. A lot of times we look at other people and we can see, man, God is transforming them. God is working in them. God has made a new person in them, and, and we just like, we are loving that, and we love to see that. You ever seen somebody that, that was like so deep in sin and so like maybe it was drugs or alcohol or, 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 or something just terrible, maybe uh, just ridiculous amounts of sin, and then you see God come in and wreck their lives, transform them and make them new. I mean, Kanye, for example. So, we, I mean, like we see this, and, and, and like we're like, man, that is impressive. I, I like the fact that I can see what God is doing. But so many times what we do is we see that in other people, what we fail to see that in ourselves. Now, let me be very clear about something today. I am not here to exalt you. This is not about you. This is not a message about you. This is not in order to be able to lift you up and to make you feel good about you. That is not what this message is about, okay? If you want that, you can go to Lakewood Baptist and you can go get that there. You're not going to get that in here, okay? So what I am saying is that this is not about you. This is about what God does in you. Just like what you see in somebody else and what you, the transformative work that you see in somebody else, that is what you are to see inside yourself, and that is the transformative work that God does through His Holy Spirit, His ability, His power, His might, His strength. It is about what God does. Therefore, it should bring glory to God when we see that in other people, but it should also bring glory to God when we see that in ourselves. And we fail to see that so many times. What happens is, is that we experience Christ in a brand new, amazing way, that, that God comes in and wrecks our life we experience salvation, and God lifts the burden of sin from our shoulders, and we experience that in a very real way, right? And then what happens over time? Though we are made free from our sin, though we are made free from the bondage of sin, sometimes we creep back into that sin, sometimes sin creeps back into our lives, and then what do we see? We begin to see the old self once again. We begin to focus on well, that's the way that I used to be. That's what I used to do. Now I'm creeping back into that. Now it's, 
It's, it's becoming real in my life again. And, and that's exactly where Satan starts to play this mind game with us. That's the point at which, which Satan really starts to, to, to mix things up in our minds and convince us that we are not new, that we are really old. The old self is creeping back in. He says, see, I told you. I told you that this Christianity thing wouldn't last very long. I told you that you would be back to your old ways again, that this was just a phase in your life. Am I right? Anybody ever heard that in their ears, you know, as Satan begins to tell us that? This is, this is what so many people begin to believe, that this, this was just a phase that you were going through. And I have seen so many people come in and out of their walk with Christ. They come in and, and like, man, they are on fire and they're, they're ready to do whatever it takes and they're ready to, you know what, if we want to go meet out on the street corner and we don't need a building and all that, and they're like, yes, 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 let's do that. And they get so fired up for the cause of Christ and so fired up for his kingdom. And then after about six months, they're nowhere to be found. And I don't know exactly what goes on in their hearts and in their minds. And it may be the reality, the fact that they were never really a Christian to begin with. And some people come to that conclusion too. Some people recognize much later down the road that, you know, some commitment that I made early in life, it really wasn't a commitment because I'd never fully counted the, cro- the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Therefore, because I never counted the actual cost of it, I wasn't really submitting to the cause of Christ when I submitted to him. And they say, you know what, really, I understand now. And they come to faith in Jesus Christ really, truly, and fully. And they say, yes, I'm coming all the way to the cross of Christ. And that happens a lot of times with a lot of people. But I do believe that there's a group of people out there that they truly come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then they start to maybe slip back into old sin or maybe they start to remember the old sin. And Satan is able to convince them that, you know what, that this walk with Christ was just a phase. That you're not really a Christian. That you're not really a Christ follower. That you're not really doing what God has called you to do. And we fail to see the new inside of us. And we fail to see the new inside of us. It transforms us and it, it drags us down. It pulls us back. I'm not telling you to see how good you are. I'm telling you to see how good God is inside of you. We're going to read in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning where God calls us a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. So a lot of times we, 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 like, we, we, we look at a masterpiece, and I don't know if you've ever been to an art gallery. I told you one of the... The places I like to go when I'm in Chicago is uh, the, the art museum in Chicago, and they've got some very famous pieces in there. And I like to put, on, put in my AirPods and listen to the Ferris Bueller's Day Off you know, song where they're going through the museum in Chicago, and I like to look at the art and just experience the art, and it's, it's incredible. But some of it, I'll be honest with you, I don't get it. I look at it, and I'm like, that's good. I don't get it. Like, I, There's a four-year-old I know back at church that's done much better work Back in the kids' department, you know what I'm saying? Like, it looks like a bunch of melted crayons on some canvas, and I'm not really sure why that's amazing, but okay. I mean, it must have been a big deal because they brought it in, and, like, it's in the, the Chicago Museum of Art. I mean, like, it must be good, you know? Some of the pieces that I look at um, are important not because of their content themselves, but because of who the artist was. Am I right? Because of who the painter was, the person that sculpted something, it, that's where the value comes from. If I look at the, the Mona Lisa, I don't really see a whole lot. If the Mona Lisa had been painted by Kenny Nix, nobody would be in awe and wonder 
of the Mona Lisa. It'd be like, that's just a lady with a smirk on her face. You know, I mean, I, that's what, but because it was Leonardo da Vinci, now, now all of a sudden it has more value. It has more importance, right? It seems more important because Leonardo da Vinci did it. And we know all about Leonardo da Vinci and all of his devices that he, he created and how he was so it, it just into the body and, and, and all the things that he did and just what an amazing artist he was. And because of that, we look at the Mona Lisa and we say, man, that is a work of art. That is a masterpiece. Or we look at the Sistine Chapel and we see how Michelangelo like just laid on his back and painted this amazing portrait of God reaching out to man. And we, we, we look at that and say, man, that, that, that is unbelievable. But it's also even more unbelievable because it is Michelangelo who painted that, right? And we look at these pieces of art and we look at how they have this value that is intrinsic to them because of the one who created that piece of art. Michelangelo, Leonardo, any of the other mutant ninja turtles. You know what I'm talking about? Like, so there's just like, we look at who the artist was and that gives credit and value and meaning and purpose to the artwork. Well, that's us too, right? You knew I was going there, right? You could see this coming from a mile away, but it's it's not about you. It's about the artist who created you. And and when you think about God and the fact that he, he made all things that we know to be in existence in six days and that he did that and he had had us in mind and that he created us special and he created us with purpose and he created us in the form of love and his image. I mean, the, all of those things, you look at those and you're like, man, that is beautiful. It's not because we were beautiful. It's because the artist who created us was beautiful. But the thing about it is, and this is what God did, he created us with a need for him, with a desire for our hearts to be connected with his hearts, with his heart. And we, just, we, we are created that way so that God would say, you know what? They have a dependence on me. They need me. Once I created them, it's not like I just created them and they're done. Um, it's a finished work of art. If you know anything about an artist, he'll really say that, that the art is never really finished, that his masterpiece is never really finished. He continues to work and develop and, and tweak this and tweak that, and that's us. It's almost like the artwork is dependent upon the artist to continue to make it better, to continue to tweak it and deform it and shape it. It's the same thing with us. In Christ Jesus. I, I, I don't know why God impressed upon my heart this analogy between artwork and, and, and how we fail to see that we have a dependence and a need on him. And he shows that through the cross of Christ, right? He shows that, that, that you could not do what you needed to do to have a right relationship with me. That you had to end up depending on me for that to be true in your life. For that to be true of all of creation, for all of humanity, that we had to depend on God. That he is the only one that could have done what needed to be done. He created us with a dependence on him. For our heart to be connected with his heart, we still have to have a dependence on him. And I, I think about this all the time, and I think about, I've said this so many times in here, and, and that is the fact that when you think about how a child loves a parent, when they're, when they're an infant and they are dependent upon them to, to like feed them and change them and, and burp them and do all those things. You know, they're so, I mean, and that's where that bond forms, right? That's where the heart is connected to the other heart. They're just so connected because there's that dependence upon the other one. And that is the same way that our p- dependence is supposed to be upon God. 
We're supposed to have this connected heart with him because we have a dependence on, on him. And he's constantly shaping us and molding us and making us new because he is a creative God. That's what makes him so special and so wonderful, the fact that he is creative. And today, we're going to look at this masterpiece just a little bit because I feel like we need to be reminded of what he did. This is not about reminding us of who we are. This is about reminding us of who we are in Christ Jesus. Once you were dead, in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, because of your disobedience and your many sins. He doesn't say that once you were bad. He doesn't say that once you were not so good. He doesn't say once you were kind of ugly looking. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Dead, meaning there's no life in you. That you are a corpse. You are still I have never taken an anatomy class or anything like that in college where I got to cut open a human being. Um, I think that I might like that. I also think that I might be grossed out because corpses that are cold and dead are kind of weird looking. I don't know if you identify with that, but I'm like, this is kind of odd. But, and I don't know if I could be the kind of person that cuts on them, and I'm thankful that we have people that can because we need doctors and nurses that can do that sort of thing. But, but here, when I think about a corpse and I think about dead, I think that, man, that's not a pretty picture. There is no life in them. There is, there is nothing to motivate them. There's nothing good inside them. It's, it's just a corpse. It's just empty. And that is us in our spiritual condition before God. You once were dead in your disobedience and your sins. Dead. No life in you. Nothing good inside you. Unable to move. Unable to do anything. Dead. You used to live in sin. Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us who used to live that way follow the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, but, but by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So this is what he says. He says, not only were you dead, but you were also You were dead because of your disobedience and your sins, but you were also under the power of the devil. You were under the power of this this one that has has power in the unseen world. He says you were under his power. You were under his control. Now, one of the things that I I think that, that, that you need to recognize if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... Is, and I talked about this just a second ago, is you are not under his power and his control any longer. As a matter of fact, if you are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus is in you, he is at your foot. He is not at the head. But we allow him to creep from the foot to the head so often in our lives. But the reality is we have the keys to the freedom that exists through Christ Jesus, but we don't exercise that freedom. Instead, what do we do? We submit to a lesser power. When you listen to what Satan has to say to you, you are submitting to a lesser power. You are allowing him to control something that he doesn't have the power to control. Have you ever heard anybody say, I don't know why you're telling me to do that. I mean, it's probably been said back there in the kids' department before. I don't know why you're telling me to do that. You ain't my mama. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ever heard that? I know I've said that. I don't know why you're telling me to do that. You ain't my mama. Maybe today when you walk away from this message, maybe you'll look at Satan and go, I don't know why you're telling me that. You ain't my daddy. Because really, when you, when you think about who you are in Christ Jesus, you have to understand the power and the reign and the control that exists 
over your life. You have submitted to the authority of Christ. You have not submitted to the authority of the devil. As a matter of fact, you have turned away from the desire to do what the sinful nature desires and turned towards Jesus Christ, more in tune with his spirit and his renewed heart. Therefore, you are not under the control of Satan and his lies. He is the father of lies, and what he tells you all the time is lies. So when you hear a lie, you know what you need to think? Satan. Satan. When you hear something that that draws you away from the spirit and the the spirit that God has called you to have, you know what you need to think? Satan. He doesn't have power. He doesn't have authority. He doesn't have control. There is one who has control and authority in my life, and that is Jesus Christ. I think that sometimes it's, it's our way of thinking that we have to control a little bit. All, all the, the negative things of the world, I, I think that we allow that to creep in sometimes, and it, 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 it rots our brains. It rots our brains as opposed to, to thinking about what is good and pure and holy and righteous. So why, we don't think about those things. Instead, we allow the other things to creep in and rot our brains. Therefore, we are surprised when we all of a sudden begin to think about things that are destructive to us, and we begin to start leaning over towards a sinful nature. Well, that all started up here. Every sin that you commit starts up here. And you have to think about what are the things that I'm letting in up here? What are the things that are really controlling and ruling and reigning in my life? What are the thoughts? Am I taking every thought captive in my life? Am I really pushing all those negative things that the father of lies is telling me? Am I really pushing those out or am I letting those in? I think that this is a battle that goes on. And inside every one of us, I know it goes on inside of me. I know I struggle with this. I know I struggle with, with, with evil, hurtful, just plain awful thoughts that, that want to come in and want to take control of my mind. And I, have to just, and, and I have to just push and push and push and push. And the only way that I can really push is understanding who has authority in my life. And that's thinking about Jesus Christ and how I've submitted to his rule and to his reign. If I, if I have truly submitted to his rule and his reign, then I have to take every thought captive and, and, and move towards Christ and away from those thoughts and away from those lies. Paul says to the Ephesian church, he says, you were, you were dead. Oh, that's good news for us. That's good news for us that we're not dead anymore. I, I like that fact, Paul. Thank you so much. Here's where, here's where the transformation happens. Let me go, I want to go back and read that verse one more time. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Just like everyone else. But God. Every time you see but God, you know that something good's about to come after that. You know that there is something amazing that happens whenever we hear but God. This is who we were but God. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. I, yeah, God loved us so much. We, we, we listen to that. We hear that. And we don't just stop and pause when we hear that God loved us so much. We are naturally rebellious against God. And we are under God's anger. Is what we just read. And we hear, but God is rich in mercy and he loved us so much. I do not know why God would love me. There is no good reason that God would love me. There is nothing good inside of me. There is nothing that, that should be loved by God. Everything I have inside of me, on, under my own power and ability, it's all bad. It's all bad. But that's not the way our God is. Because he is rich in mercy, he loved us. 
that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. That's the point at which he gave us life. You understand that, right? The point at which we have the ability to come to life is the fact that Jesus Christ came to life. We have to look at that picture. I don't know if you recognize this, but there is a huge difference between somebody who is dead and somebody who is alive. Somebody who is dead, they're, they're pretty cold, right, and kind of blue looking. Somebody who is alive is, is warm and they're full of color and they're full of richness and vitality and all of that kind of stuff, right? And here, there's a radical transformation between being dead and being alive. And he says, look at Christ as that example. Look at the example of Christ. Now, I think about when Christ died, I think about the fact that when he was beaten for our sins, because he was, he was beaten beyond comprehension for our sins. The, the flesh was torn from his body. They said that he was beaten so bad that you could not tell that he was a human being. That's how bad he was beaten for our sins. The, the spear stuck into the side. I mean, I just I think about all the things, the crown of thorns and the blood and how it just trickled down his face and they pulled the beard from his face and I just think about, man, what a terrible, terrible picture that must have been. When he finally took his last breath and said, it is finished, and they put him in the grave. Man, I imagine he was just like a bloody mess when they laid him down in there. What a terrible picture. But the picture we see of the resurrected Jesus Christ is one that he is so, <laughs> so beautiful and so perfect. Like when they come to the garden to look and see and, and like there's an angel there, there's an angel of the Lord and and like the, the, the resurrected Jesus is so perfect and so pure. The only thing that is messed up when he, when he comes is that the holes in his hands so they can see the scars. So, so Thomas, doubting Thomas, old doubting Thomas can, can touch the scars and touch the wounds where Jesus had sacrificed all for us. There's such a drastic transformation between dead to alive. And I don't understand it when people say they've come to faith in Christ, but there's no transformation that's happened in their life. But there's no difference between how they were and how they are. They still look like they were, and they aren't embracing who they are in Christ Jesus. And I, I think that either one or two things has happened. Either they don't really fully recognize the power that has come upon them to be alive, or that, or they do not have that power that causes them to be alive inside of them. Maybe they just said some words, or maybe they made a commitment so somebody else would be happy, or maybe they just pretended like they were saved so that they could move on to the next step and get somebody else out of their hair. I've seen that happen a million times too. But when you are transformed, when you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, you are as different as you are from dead to alive. And God did that through his son Jesus Christ. And when we need to look at that transform, transformation that happens in us, we look to Christ and we look and say, the reason I am alive is because Christ is alive. Because there's, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God because Christ came alive. If Christ is still dead, then we are not Christians. But the fact that he is alive, that is the point at which grace was made available to us. Listen to what it says. I'm going to go back and read it again. Let's, let's. But God, so rich in mercy, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is 
only by God's grace that you have been saved. There is no other way. It is not by your own merit. It is not by anything you have done. It is not because, you know what, it's available to everybody else, therefore it's available to me. No, it is because of God's grace that you can be saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Jesus Christ. This is what Paul goes on to say. This is, this is what we need to hear today. That God raised us from the dead and he seated us with Christ in heavenly realms. That we are no longer citizens of this world, that we are no longer citizens of this place, that we are actually citizens of heaven. And God did that and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to, and we could talk about that for hours on end, and that is true, but I want you to look at verse 7, and that is kind of what we want to focus in on right now. So God can. So God can. We, we, we just read, but God. We know who we were. We saw, but God, and, and what he did through his son, Jesus Christ. So God can. This is, this is, the, this is the crux of kind of where we are. So God can. So God can. So he can do what? So he can point to us. He says, you want to see grace? Look at my son. You want to see grace? Look at my daughter. You want to see grace? Look at my child. He poured out his grace on us so that we might be able to bring glory to him by his grace. When we put our faith and our trust in him and the finished work of the cross of his son Jesus Christ... That transformative work that takes us from death to life is what he can point to as an example. He says to all future ages and say, look at my grace. Look how my grace is sufficient. Look at what my grace can do. Look at how my, my grace can transform. They are not worthy. They're not good. There's everything bad in them. But my grace, look at my grace and you can see my grace in them. And you'll see how loving I am. You'll see how much I care about my people. I think that there are a lot of people that look at Christians and they go, man, they don't really, they don't really exemplify what I know a Christian to be, you know. Maybe they've heard, you know, what a Christian's supposed to be, and I, I'm talking about unbelievers, right, when you encounter unbelievers. I think that, that they, they look at, at Christians and they kind of lump us all into one big category, am I right? They, they look at us and they say, oh, well, this and that and all this kind of stuff, and and, and, and you guys believe this, and you guys believe that, and all that kind of stuff, right? And the reality is what they need to see more than anything else when you encounter a non-believer, when you encounter somebody who doesn't know the love of Jesus Christ, you know what you need to show them? That you are an ambassador of grace. That look, this is what I was. I don't know what you think about playing music in the services. I don't know if you're supposed to drink out of one cup or two cups or whatever we're supposed to do when we take communion. I don't care about all that. What I'm telling you what matters is that God's grace was poured out on me, and because of God's grace that was poured out on me, I'm a brand new person, a brand new creation, and you can be too. And I think that so many people get wrapped up in so many other things, and if, if you're talking to a non-believer, they'll be talking to you about anything and everything except God's grace. 
They'll be talking to you about, about whether or not it's okay to have music in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. They'll talk to you about whether or not, you know, Adam and Eve had belly buttons. They'll talk to you about dinosaurs. They'll talk to you about everything, right? But they won't get down to the crux of the matter, which is God's grace. And that's where I always start. It never fails. Anytime I go on a youth trip, it's like somebody's got to ask me about dinosaurs every single time. And I'm like, yes, there were dinosaurs. There are bones in the ground. Yes, God created them. You want to ask me how? I don't know. Let's talk about God's grace. Let's talk about God's grace because that's the most important thing you need to know. Dinosaurs is number 6,453 on the list of things you need to know. God's grace is number one. Let's start with number one. And you figure out number one, then we'll get there. Then we'll get there. I think what people on the outside looking in, I think what they see is they see a lot of other stuff, but they don't see God's grace. They, they don't see a lot of ambassador of God's grace. They don't see a lot of people that are saying, I'm messed up. I was messed up. And the only thing that could save me was God's grace. The only thing that could resurrect me and make me transformed is God's grace. Now, if you're not transformed, you can't say that, can you? If you're not a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you're not being that masterpiece that God has called you to be, there's a good chance that you aren't a Christian at all, that you aren't a Christ follower at all. You can't be an ambassador of grace without first being a recipient of grace. People look at you and do they see grace? Is grace what they see in you? If they see grace in you, then you can boast, not about yourself, but you can boast about God's grace. And that's what we see. Let's look at what, what Paul goes on to say. In verse 8, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. And you can't take credit for this. The version I memorized was, lest any man should boast. It is a gift from God. Grace comes as a gift from God. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. If you think about what a gift is, it's something that, that comes undeservedly to a person. When you give a gift at Christmas time, it is not because a person deserves it. It's because you want them to be blessed as a result of you giving them something. That is what a gift is supposed to be. And God blessed us by giving us this gift of grace that we cannot take credit for. You can't say, well, so-and-so gave me a gift because I am so great. No, they gave you a gift because they wanted to bestow it upon you because of their love for you. It's not because you deserved it. It's not because you earned it. It's because they wanted to give you something that they wanted you to have out of their love for you. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You aren't saved because of all the things you have done that are good. That is not the way that it works. All these other religions of the world say that you could do this, do that to reach enlightenment, to reach this extra higher plane where you can actually get to God. All these other religions of the world say, well, you need to be better and do better and do this and do that. And then when you do, you can get up to this level where you're on the same plane with God. And that's what you need to strive to attain. Well, the Christian faith is very different than that. The Christian faith says there is nothing we can do to earn our way to get to God. Instead, God came down and came to us in the form of a person. And not only that, not only did he come down in the form of a person to get on our level, but he said all the sins and all the things that they've done wrong to rebel against me, to hate me with their hearts and in their minds, all of those things, I want you to put it on me and take out the punishment on me. 
because sin cannot go unpunished. And if it's got to be punished, put it on me. That's why when we, when we look at ourselves as Christians, we say, man, there is nothing good inside me. There's nothing I can boast about. I can only boast about Christ Jesus in me because, man, he's the only thing that's good. He's the only one that ever did anything good. He says, you can't boast about your salvation. It's not anything that you did. There's two sides to that coin, right? There's two sides to that coin. You can't boast about your salvation, and we're supposed to boast in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. When you see salvation in your life, when you see that you have been created new, you're supposed to, as God's word says, let that light so shine before men and see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That we're supposed to do that. And we're supposed to see that light in ourselves. Recognize that he has created us new. Recognize that what you were is not what's who you are now. Recognize that you've been transformed and you've been transformed by one thing and his grace is that answer. And when you see that you're transformed by his grace, when you see the reality of that grace inside your life and you've been brought from death to life, we can rejoice in that. But we can only boast in Jesus Christ. We can rejoice in the fact that we are created new. And man, you know what? When we rejoice in the fact that we are created new, when we say, behold, I create all things new, when God says that, we recognize the power that exists within us. We recognize the power that we have to push all those things aside that are unholy, unrighteous, and unloving. And then we're able to be ambassadors of God's grace by fixing our minds and our hearts on the things that are good and holy and righteous and just. And, God, and, and people can see that in us. I think that a lot of times people don't see it in us because we don't see it in ourselves first. We don't see it in ourselves first. I'm not, I'm not talking about boasting about yourself. I'm talking about boasting about Jesus Christ inside of you. Boasting about God's grace. And how do you do that? By making yourself low so that he can be exalted. By saying, man, this is who I was. This is how messed up I was. And now God has transformed me so much that I'm just a brand new person. I'm, I'm alive in Jesus Christ. And God points to us. God points to us. For we are God's masterpiece. Create, he created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He created anew and he planned. Notice that the focus is on God and what God has done. A lot of people don't see themselves as masterpieces. They don't see the fact that they are a masterpiece. They look at themselves and they look lowly on themselves and they look down on themselves and that's you know what that is, and that is the flesh talking when we look down on ourselves in that way. You know what it is when the spirit begins to talk and the flesh stops to talk, and that is when we look down on ourselves, but we look up to see Christ Jesus, and we look at the transformative work that he did on the cross for us and the transformative work that he does in us and the fact that we are a masterpiece, and he points to us as ambassadors of his grace. He points to us as people who are examples of how grace-filled he is. It says in that passage we just, we just read, he loved us so much. He loved us so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved us so much. That is the picture of God's grace. Maybe today you have been looking down on yourself for a long time. 
Maybe as we've been going through this series, Behold, I Make All Things New, you think, man, yeah, I'm new, but man, I sure don't look new. I sure don't look recreated. I sure don't look brand new. Well, maybe one of the two things is true. Either, either you're not a Christian, you're not truly surrendered to his lordship and his rule and his reign in your life. Or number two, the other possibility too, is that the lies of this world have crept back in and you might embrace the authority that exists through Jesus Christ in your life say, you know what, all of that is garbage, all of it is lies, and I trust in the grace of Christ. I trust in the grace that God has given us, that he has shown on us through love and mercy. I trust in that. And now I want to be an ambassador of his grace. So when you say, behold, I make all things new, when you say that in your mind, are you recognizing that God has created you new? Are you recognizing the fact that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus? Are you recognizing the fact that you are a master.